In this episode, we talk to Maya Keene, who is a classical homeopath and emotional healing guide. She specializes in helping helping women navigate big transitions in life. This episode is perfect if you're a new mom. It's extremely helpful if you're finding yourself feeling burnt out or stuck, or you just want to learn how to reconnect with yourself. I think you'll feel so much more calm and relaxed. But it's even hard to start addressing those things until something is a little bit more grounded in the emotional level. You know, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to like do a self-care practice or eat the right way or go exercise when you are just completely spent or overwhelmed or, you know, dysregulated. This is Raising Mama, a hilariously honest podcast dedicated to unveiling the hidden realities of motherhood. Our goal is to arm you with the information and tools you need to be your most confident and empowered self. This podcast is packed with unfiltered testimonies, diverse perspectives, and expert opinions, along with a good dose of laughter and tears. Leading you on this journey is my best friend, Megan Stander, who is a CEO, passionate maternal health advocate, and mom of two daughters. Alongside me is my best friend, Chelsea Ledson, who is a mother wife, and registered nurse with her master's specializing in women's health. Let's try to raise the next generation by raising up mamas and maybe raising a little hell. Maya! (laughs) Hi. Hi. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on today. And Chelsea's excited. This one has been in the works for a long time now so pumped i was like man this has been a long time coming yeah you're a gem and you know i've been i've been pumped for this on so many levels obviously Mm -hmm. you know we know each other you were my roommate in college just for everyone listening that's a little (laughs) bit of backstory and now you're one of my good friends and we've known each other for a long ass time it's been like a decade or more right but we're both in very different places now than we were when we met in a good way. I'm really excited to talk to you about Likewise. I we we um, love talking off air, so you know. I know. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, we we talk so much off air that we were like we need to record some of this. So <laughs> <laughs> Let's get yeah. into it. I'm pumped. Yeah. So your career now as an emotional healing guide and a homeopathic practitioner is quite unique for sure. Um, Very intriguing because it just evokes the like, what is that? What does that mean? So for our listeners, could you explain to us and to people that might not know what that is, what this role entails, you know, how, how it intersects with the emotional journeys of women? Yeah. So Homeopathy. Um, A lot of people sort of assume that homeopathy is this term to kind of classify any natural form of healing when actually it is a very specific therapeutic style of natural healing. Um, Yeah, some people mistake it as being like naturopathy or just anything that's like home. Like when I was a kid, I remember my mom had this book and is all of home remedies. And I used to like call it homeopathy, even though there was no homeopathy actually in this book. Um, 
But so I just like to specify by saying that like homeopathy is its own specific healing modality. And what it is, is it utilizes natural substances that undergo this process called potentization, which involves extreme dilution of the original substance. And then this thing that's called succussion, which is like a pounding. It's kind of nice that we're on video because I can like show you <laughs> the action. Making um, a pounding motion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, hand into the palm. Yeah. Um, and what this process does is it makes the remedies non-toxic and it renders the remedy to a point where there's almost no material substance left within the remedy. Um, this is when it can get a little tricky to talk about because people are like, okay, if there's nothing left, then like, what is it? So totally. It's a vibration. I'm, lost. I'm like, okay, I need to hear it. I need it broken down. Right, right. So if I'm going to be perfectly honest, because I'm a very honest person. We don't know exactly why homeopathy works. It has not been tr truly scientifically proven in a way that like the broader scientific community is completely like, yes, that's it. That's the way. Sometimes it's assumed that it's only placebo effect. However, I do have, um, I mean, once you see it actually work for people, you learn that Ooh, like if it's working on animals and babies, how can it be placebo effect, right? They don't know what they're right. taking. However, you know, placebo is at play in almost any, any therapeutic. So, you know, I'm not going to say there's no element of that. However, it is not exclusively what is happening. What homeopaths believe is that there is a vibrational quality that is left within the remedy that is created. So what's happening with homeopathy is... Um, to bring it back to basics a little bit, we're using this terminology called like cures like. And now I am not a doctor. I do not cure, diagnose, treat. I do not do any of those things. I'm using that terminology in quotes because this is what the, um, the old school text will say. You know, it's this um, cure, like it's the law of similars. So the like cures like. So what's happening is we are initiating a healing response into the person who takes the remedy. Uh, what makes it really different though, is it's very individualized. So we are finding one remedy that matches the picture of symptoms that someone has. And that remedy as a raw substance in someone else who does not have those symptoms, it would create the symptoms in that person. So in, essentially what's happening is your body creates symptoms as its best attempt to heal. You know, it's a response to an imbalance or a foreign um, invasion of, you know, germs or something. And then our body responds, you know, we get a flu, our body responds with symptoms. You and your partner might have the exact same flu, but you have a fever, you're, you know, have chills and aches and pains, and your partner has a really bad cough, a sore throat, no fever. In more conventional medicine, you would give the exact same remedy or, you know, medicine to them. But in homeopathy, those two people are going to most likely need different remedies to help their body heal because these remedies are working with the body. Um, so, you know, when we produce symptoms, sometimes our bodies just do what they need to do. You know, they, they increase their symptoms and then they decrease and then 
something is resolved within our bodies. But sometimes we don't have enough energy within our system to do that on our own. So what the remedy is doing is giving us a little boost of energy, essentially, to move through what it's already trying to do. Right. Okay. Okay. (laughs) As a very layman's person, this is what I'm hearing. Everybody reacts differently to a stimulus. We could say the stimulus is a virus. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... um, we don't have enough time to even process how we're reacting. So it sounds like what you're providing is something that helps catalyze your body to either process it differently or just finally finish what it started. That's what yes. I heard. Yeah, I, I love I love having the nurse like re- regurgitate what I said. <laughs> so you're you're really passionate about this. I know this because I know you. Why is homeopathy, for like lack of a better way of asking this, but why is it so dope? So as we'll sort of get into, homeopathy is not the only thing that I've done in the healing world, and it is not the only thing that I offer. My first love was breathwork and a very therapeutic style of breathwork that had this way of what I've learned now. It's actually quite similar to homeopathy in the way that it initiates a healing response within the person. So the breathing pattern would like activate like an emotional response. So say... I had years and years of grief within me and anger and frustration and all this stuff from childhood. And when I did this breath work, it would initiate like a cry out of me. When I would complete the the breathing, the whole session, I would leave feeling like I actually had a cathartic cry and like I processed through something that was most often like something old from the past, like that felt like a younger age or something like that. So that helped me through so much of what I kind of call like my quarter life crisis, um, like true starting the deep healing journey. Um, Mm -hmm. And The thing with breath work is that I found over the years that I was facilitating that more um, predominantly was that it's a lot of work. It takes energy. It takes effort. Sometimes people like, especially our subconscious wants to resist it because who really wants to go into like the depths of their crying, like in the middle of their day, like not a lot of people love to do that. I love to cry. So like, I'm a little different, but like a lot of people would come up to me and be like, I'm so curious, but I'm so scared to do breath work or whatever. And, you know, I, you know, I, it was hard for me to accept that, like, wow, like this is so powerful, but like not people just won't do it. You know, like probably the people that need it the most aren't going to do it. And then homeopathy came into my life. And I started receiving homeopathic care for some physical ailments for, I was dealing with some chronic ear stuff, but I also had learned because I was starting school around the same time for this homeopathy program that homeopathy, when you are selecting a remedy for someone, you're looking for something that addresses the mental, emotional, and physical. So it's much more than just a physical thing. A lot of people think homeopathy is just used for like little acute things like Arnica when your kid falls off its bike or and gets a big bruise on their butt, you know, like, but it's much deeper than that. If you're using it for like the whole person and for more chronic stuff, what happened on the process of healing my ear stuff was my mental, emotional stuff 
that I had been working on for years and had gotten a lot of progress with, with things like breath work, they improved dramatically. For instance, my baseline that I thought I'd work so hard to get my anxiety to like a certain baseline. One day after taking this remedy, I dropped to a new baseline that I didn't know existed. (laughs) And, And I like certain little weird fears that I just thought were normal disappeared. And of course, it's like there's some progression to get there. However, this really showed me for the first time the potential of homeopathy on the mental emotional state. And because I was so invested in this with the breath work and everything, and for a long time, even though I called myself a breathwork facilitator, what I was really doing was like guiding people through their emotional muck <laughs> or lack thereof, you know, the or the 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 distancing from it and willingness mm-hmm. to step into it and feel their feelings. And then I saw that, oh my gosh, there's with homeopathy, we can initiate a response where like there's very little effort done on the person's part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So while I still love breath work and it has a place and I think it's a very powerful practice, I'm always in the camp, especially in this day and age where we're chronically fatigued and burnt out as a culture, like less is more, like the less someone has to do to like get a, a, a true yeah. shift within them. Like, isn't that ideal? <laughs> yeah. Especially you know? for like, you know, moms who who are the primary listener here and I feel I feel like you just like there's so much to do and there's like so much work and you're just tired and it's like such a shortcut right like that's how I saw it I'm like I'm down for a shortcut like I know we can be wary of shortcuts but I think that's how you explained it to me too sort of a little bit I don't even know if I would call it a shortcut because All it's doing is it's giving your system the support it needs to naturally go through whatever it needs to go through to like reach more a more balanced place, a more healed place. Mm. And what's so cool about it is like these remedies are made from plant, mineral, and animal substances. And when I say animal, it's usually like a venom or a poison or something from a certain animal, you know? Bee venom therapy is like very popular in like the alternative healing world. You know, bee venom is is what one of the remedies is made out of, for instance. But what's so cool is like there's these substances out in nature that if you were to consume them and get like a toxic load, you'd start to show certain symptoms. And when we're sick, not from or like, you know, imbalanced from a trauma or a stress, our bodies like project this language of symptoms that match something in nature. It's like the craziest shit you've ever heard, you know, but like how cool it like actually connects us to what's already out there. I think too, especially I'm super Western medicine. I'm a nurse. It's like, I think as a mom, you go to hospitals 99% of the time And it's like all the info you ever get is this very like Western medicine side of things. And the minute you go into motherhood, you're like, well, there's something lacking here for sure. You know, like 90% of what's struggling and what's challenging and what's tough 
it's like not something you could go to a hospital to fix, you know? So I just feel grateful that you're the one here because so many people are like, well, who can help me with this? (laughs) You know, (laughs) who can help me with this huge transformation and maybe like old feelings that I didn't even know. I thought they were okay, but now I'm thinking about my mom and how she raised me and now I'm feeling trauma. And, you know, I don't know. I think that a lot of people can relate to just feeling like there's got to be something more out there because I think the Western scope is like, it's so, it's so tiny. And, you know, I have a lot of compassion for the, the conventional medicine realm, because I know that like, there's so much pressure within the industry to perform quicker, perform better, perform more. And I don't know that deep, true, like regenerative healing happens in that environment. It's great for emergent care. It's great for like extreme things. Right. But like for think healing takes time and it comes in layers. And, you know, I'm grateful that the mental health space has gotten so much more robust over the last couple decades and that it's so much more normalized to like have a therapist and, you know, get the mental health support you need. But that's only a part of it, right? Like, like there, there needs to be a lot more robust of like a form of support for the type of distress that we're navigating as a society and as individuals. Well, here's my question. Like say somebody, you know, seek somebody out like you who did breath work, homeopath, what are some things that they could expect to kind of like work through with you that would be different if they went down the usual therapist, I don't know, Prozac route? (laughs) Yeah. And and like, I want you to go into the emotional healing guide side of it as well and like how does everything like what is the experience the emotional healing guide side of things comes into play in the sense that yes i am a practitioner of classical homeopathy i am a breathwork facilitator i'm even a flower remedy practitioner which i incorporate in my care as well it's a whole other thing so maybe we don't get fully into that but but uh you know it's it's kind of part of the homeopathy element um But what I noticed is that most of the people that were coming to me and most of the stuff that, I mean, also as a practitioner, you have to like really care about certain things that you're helping people with. And usually that has a little, at least a little bit, probably a lot to do with your own journey and your own story. (laughs) Um, You know, like people who become experts in like women's health are usually women who had autoimmune stuff that they couldn't resolve in a certain way or the conventional way, or they were told that you know, they had no problems going on. Um, So for me, it's always been the emotional stuff. Also, like just the way my system's built, like my body very much responds to emotional stress. So like I have very alive emotions. A lot of stuff comes through. It feels like too much. It feels overwhelming. And because, and my body won't even fully shut it down, but it will send it into the body as like a pain or a, you know, Mm. a food sensitivity or something like that. So for one, it's, it's part of my journey and what I really like am interested in helping people with, but a lot of people who are coming to me, you know, they might, especially with homeopathy, like they might have some physical stuff going on because let's be real. Most people who are dealing with like complex trauma and stuff like that, they have chronic shit going on too. It's, it's part yep. of the marriage of those things. 
Um, but it's even hard to start addressing those things until something is a little bit more grounded in the emotional level. You know, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to like do a self-care practice or eat the right way or go exercise when you are just completely spent or overwhelmed or, you know, dysregulated. So I really see that the emotional stuff is what's missing in a lot of the care that's out there. And, you know, therapy can be like that. There's many therapists who are really good at the emotional care part, but it's not always there too, Mm -hmm. right? So much of therapy is working with the mind. Emotions Mm -hmm. are part, like, yes, emotions are made in our mind, but they are, they live in our body, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's kind of where I see a missing piece in a lot of the more normalized therapies out there. And I love, like most of my clients, they have a therapist. So I see my work very much as complementary to conventional mental health care and conventional medicine care. It's just another way to like start getting the life force back in someone um, because there is so much depletion that usually happens in these situations. What I heard is basically the the extra cherry on top that someone like you brings to the table is really focusing in on the emotions, not just like the cerebral form of thinking of your emotions, but truly like going through the physical true experience of it so that you can bridge whatever gap you need to go through. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, the remedies and whatnot that you provide help that person get to a level where they can start experiencing that. The breath work that you provide helps somebody actually feel and work through it. And it seems to me like it is a missing piece because medicine is just like body. It's all about the body. It's just as if, you know, you just boop, put this in your body, you'll feel better, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's like therapies, just straight up cerebral, think about it and you'll feel better. And yours is sort of, it sounds to me almost like experiential and like, mm-hmm. you really have to feel the emotional part connection. And maybe we're I can feel really disconnected. I think it's really easy now with phones and everything like to be disconnected is probably the easiest way to just cope. And it's like, maybe that's the biggest hindrance to moving forward is not ever touching in on yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think this will, what I'm about to say is probably going to segue us a little bit into some of the other stuff, but you know, at the end of the day, like my why for this work is like to reconnect people with themselves. You know, there are so many, whether it be a chronic illness that happens or a big trauma or a stress or chronic trauma, you know, whatever it may be, all those things feel like to most people, like it pulls us away from ourselves. Mm. And healing is that journey back to realizing that we actually never went anywhere. (laughs) We were always here, (laughs) but our coping mechanisms and our protection mechanisms said, no, it's not safe to be there. Right. And, you know, it's through that sort of, and, you know, I use these different things to help bring, but at the end of the day, it's like bringing that person back. Like when I, one of my favorite, like, 
feedbacks to get from a client after like they take a homeopathic remedy that really hits deeply, like the nail on the head is like, I feel more like myself. And I didn't even realize I didn't feel like myself. Mm. You know, it's like, sometimes you don't even realize it until like until we're grounded back in ourself. And then it's like, oh shit, I was so far away, <laughs> you know? Um, and sometimes people know that they're very far away and they feel it. And that's devastating, mm. you know? And there's you, the guide, you're like the light at the tunnel, like, hold my hand, I'll take you back. Yeah. And all the work is really, you know, the more emotional guide part, which is the nurturing guidance and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's actually me just shining that light on you and asking you the questions that make you reflect about what you want, who you are, you know, I don't know what the best option is, what the best steps are for you. You know, I don't associate with the term coach because I'm not telling you a certain path to get there. I'm mm. resourcing you with what you need and then giving you the guidance to sort of explore that yourself. And it's always surprising what someone needs, right? Like, because yeah. I'm like, oh, you just needed to like take yourself out to lunch, like <laughs> literally. <laughs> so, okay. So if you're in a, in a current state of overwhelm and you know, we're, this is a big concept that we're talking about is basically that transformation can come from it. And, and it often begins in a state of overwhelm because, you know, Lot, many reasons, right? But generally, it's like we're we're reaching a limit, and something needs to happen, right? So, but for someone that's in the state of overwhelm, how do we get there? Like, what strategies can be employed to navigate this? Like, let's get into the kind of you know nitty gritty of it, and and meet in terms of like what kinds of questions can we ask ourselves so that we can go kind of start this transition between overwhelm and opportunity, you know, for growth. Yeah. So one thing I just want to acknowledge, like before fully answering this question is the fact that I want to normalize like the fear and discomfort that comes around being at that point. Mm -hmm. The fear that comes from even considering asking us if like the life we have in front of us is the life we want, because I think a lot of people and the resistance comes as a protection mechanism. So I'm not shaming resistance. Resistance is actually incredibly powerful. And the more that we understand our resistance, the more we see how it's literally keeping us safe from like truly dangerous things. So the spiritual world can very much bypass resistance and just be like, get over the resistance. I want to honor the resistance. And, but at the same time, usually when someone is at that point, they are at a point where the, the, basically the discomfort of staying the same gets bigger than the discomfort of trying something else or, or asking mm. the questions and stepping into the unknown. So it can be scary. Really scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Megan, was it scary for you? <laughs> I scared shitless. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think 
Okay. So one of my tips would be find support. It doesn't have to be someone you pay except for, unfortunately, sometimes our community and our friendships and our family members are not equipped to support us in the way we need. So often when we go and source someone outside, but if you do have someone in your life who can be that for you, reach out to them, start talking, you know, support is really needed for these types of experiences. I believe as hard as this may sound, and again, why guidance can be helpful during the, that this journey, but like you got to slow the fuck down. You got to make space to allow yourself to sit with the feelings and the questions and see if there is any clarity that you can get, which usually doesn't come as fast as we want. But we usually first start to see what we don't want. And what is uncomfortable gets really, really loud. What we're not willing to cope with anymore turns up like so loud for us. And often it's after acknowledging that fully, that's when like the clarity stuff starts to come. Because I think a lot of the fear is um, around like the fact that you might have to change something big. I think deep down, if you're asking these questions and you're feeling this way, it's probably that something has to change. But I also want to say that not everyone has to change their whole life. And not everyone's clarity is like, is like, get a divorce, change my job, move my house. Like, that's not everyone's experience. Like, sometimes people yeah. find, oh, a certain way of being in my life, in my relationship with my partner is not allowing me to receive support from them. And they're actually a really supportive partner. You know, so then it's more of like an internal shift of the work that you need to do to even like experience the fullness of what's already in front of you. Mm. So, you know, everyone ex everyone's experience is different, but I think most people, and I've been at this place too, where it's like, oh my God, if I ask myself these questions, like I'm going to blow up my fucking life. <laughs> and sometimes we have to, and that's like really powerful and beautiful. But I just want to like speak to that like fear element again. Um, so the slowing down thing is definitely helpful. And, you know, like where I would come into play as someone working with someone, like when Megan and I worked together, it was through my intensive. So we were meeting every week for three months with like one week off a month. Um, in that space, you know, that was time reserved for you that wasn't like as analytical as therapy, you know, it's like you were able to more settle into your system, like regulate a little bit, like ask yourself those questions in a held space, which in its own is like very powerful. Um, in addition to getting support from like other remedies and practices and things like that. But, you know, I'm going to leave it as simple as that. Like I really think getting support, slowing down and creating space for this type of reflection and is um just the foundation of what's needed and i also want to acknowledge that that's a very privileged place like thing to have so i understand then we have to talk about societal shit and we're not going to go there right now but 
<laughs> we need more forms of support, obviously, that aren't like paid for. <laughs> it's so yeah. true. And I think moms, especially, I mean, I think that feeling of dysregulation is just so common. And then you just want to get more grounded. And it's like, first, you just got to acknowledge, like, it's going to be scary to go down that path to find how to get grounded again. And then I love what you said about get your support and make space by probably slowing down. I mean, because that would be the exact opposite thing that I would think to do. I would think like, go faster, go harder, push through it, do it, you know? Yeah, most people do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's lovely advice because I would think like, I would just not think to think of it that way. (laughs) Yeah. I think that was my mindset too. I felt like I felt like that was what gave me so much confusion is because I was so busy and I was doing so many things um, that I never even had a second to like, you know, and it was so foreign to me too in the beginning. And I feel like those sessions with you, it, it, it was like, you know, taking a chisel into like a rock and like hammering it and just making a crack. And then once I had, a crack I could I could see how and it was tough honestly you know it's t- for anyone right it's a it's hard it's like how do I make how do I make the space and how do I but I think you just have to you have to start somewhere and then it it can snowball I want us to to talk about sensitivity um I'm a highly sensitive person and I think that many women um are 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 sensitive humans it can make life more difficult in a lot of ways and it's also a a a quote unquote female trait so they say although i don't know it's if it's not really... but <laughs> <laughs> but like you know it like it it's right it's not it's gender yeah. normative for females yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and um but it's got this like negative association too. So, you know, we're talking about emotional overwhelm, we're talking about emotional resilience. So in your experience, how can women transform or any, any human transform their heightened sensitivity from a perceived challenge into a strength? This is a very good question. And honestly, it's going to be different for everyone. The timeline's going to be different. The experience is going to be different. But a lot of sensitivity, like when someone's told, I mean, when I was a kid, like friends would tell me like, oh, you're too sensitive. Like my family would tell me, oh, you're too sensitive. Like you take things too personally, like this and that. And, you know, I internalize that as my sensitivity being something that was wrong with me, like innately wrong. Because I was like, I came out this way. So whatever, Um, you know, and upon much deeper reflection and without going too deep into it, because it could be a lot to talk about there. um, You know, I learned that a lot of what I was picking up on was what people didn't want to see. What people, honestly, it was most people around me didn't feel comfortable with their, their emotions. And I had a very emotional emotionally active system and Mm -hmm. they did not feel comfortable 
seeing me in certain emotions. So for one, there was this element of seeing there was nothing wrong with my sensitivity. There was something wrong with the people. (laughs) You know, like it, it it was the response. Um, Mm -hmm. But also on another layer, like psychologically empathy can go to a point where it's just as toxic as like the other end of the spectrum, which is narcissistic. Megan knows I love to talk about this topic, but again, we're just going to like very lightly dust over this. <laughs> but, like, but you know, the empath who has like no boundaries, who is looking for regulation and confirmation and everyone else for them to be okay. They need to look at themselves. They need to learn to become self-resilient and trust their energy. You know, they become that overly empathetic because of trauma, you know, because of rejection and abandonment and all these things. But all of that pointed them to not trusting themselves, to not attuning to themselves, which is attuned to you is like the name of my three month thing. Um, but you know, the, the healing for the oversensitive is learning to attune to themselves, to really check in and not, um, you know, just like know what's theirs, what's, what's mine, what's not, you know, when can I start to learn like that this feeling I'm having is actually like not mine. It's like my partner's and, they're not asking me to feel this for them. So why am I taking this on? You know, it's an extra labor that in my experience got so heavy that I couldn't carry it anymore. And that was like my breaking. Um, Mm. And this would show up even when I was younger, like as temper tantrums or whatever, uh, explosive emotional reactions. Yes, sometimes it was mine, but a lot of times it was like a lot of other people's stuff that they couldn't feel. So there's no simple answer, but it definitely starts, I think, with looking inward instead of trying to look outward. Because I think oversensitivity is like everything else is affecting me. Everything else is in some ways the problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But then when we look within and we build that resilience, sometimes we don't get as triggered or reactive to the things that we once did. And that's boundary work too. (laughs) I just have to say, I mean, before we went on this podcast, you know, Megan was like, you have to do a session with Maya, like let her do her her work. Cause I was like, I don't know what the heck this crap is. Okay, sure. And definitely like right off the bat, like not knowing anything about what you do, it's so clear. You're very intuitive. And it's just like, there's just not that many people out there like that, where like, zoom right away, they can pick up on a million things. And I feel like you're saying, you know, in your childhood, you're told you're overly sensitive, and you're like picking up on all these things. And it's just like, your whole life work is using that as your superpower that you can connect with people, and maybe get them to see something in themselves that they've been like blocking off. So it's just so interesting how being overly sensitive, it's like, it's also like you're seeing things other people aren't seeing. And that can just yeah. be such a huge, huge yeah. positive. Um, you know, in the nursing world, I mean, it's 90% of the job. It's like, 
I could technically give you pills and like, that's my job. But most of it is like, you're walking into a room, you're picking up that like, hmm, maybe that partner shouldn't be there. And like, hmm, maybe like we needed open windows and maybe, you know, like there's just all these other things going on in the background that I think are incredibly important to impacting yourself and impacting others. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful that I did get to meet you. Cause I'm like, thank God you're overly sensitive. Cause you're, thank you're you. really helping so many people out. So I think it's a huge plus. That's my two cents. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, it is like sensitivity and it could be a term for like hypervigilance, which like I have because like of my childhood stuff, you know? Um, and what I did as a form of survival, like tracking the room, like making sure everything's okay. And, you know, making sure like my parents' mood was okay. And making sure that like they're, they're capable of like taking care of me and, you know, just like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. When it's, when you ground it and you heal that, and again, I still have an Achilles heel for this. So like I can, a certain situation that's stressful enough can send me back more into the, the hypervigilance that isn't as evolved, you know, but yeah, in my day to day, I mean, you know, it's a little crazy sometimes. Like you walk into a room and I'm like, nope, <laughs> not interested. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, it serves in this work, especially with um, homeopathy. There's a thousand questions I have to ask people, especially in their first session. And yeah. I'm, I'm really good at it because I follow the threads really well, you know, because I have to ask a lot of questions, but I also need to specify and like start hearing the voice of the remedy in the person. And um, yeah, it happens through that skill. So that's how it can be transmuted. So I want to get back into like, I love, I, I love conversations like this. These like meta convert. It's like, a, it's like a conversation about a thought about an emotion, you know, <laughs> love, love all of it. And it just it makes your brain go like a million different directions. But I do want to bring us back to motherhood. And I know I'm not the first and only mom that you've worked with, you've worked with quite a few of them but just like from your perspective because I think we're all pretty voiced in our own perspectives but how do you think motherhood acts as like a catalyst for self-discovery and personal transformation like knowing what you know I mean <laughs> I am not a mother yet I'm not pregnant however I do hope to be a mother at some point. That being said, yeah, working with moms and new moms often is like, I get kind of excited because I'm like, you are in such a transformational portal right now. It's like, ooh, like this is where all the magic can start to happen, you know? And these like kind of transformational portal pivotal moments in people's lives can be initiated through a death, like losing someone, a breakup, you know, someone leaving someone's life, also a grief. Um, it could be an accident or a physical illness. It could also just happen spontaneously. Like it kind of did for me. Um, mm. 
with like just going on vacation and seeing a different way of life and being like, oh shit, now I don't know that I want anything that I thought I wanted anymore. But that often, that experience often happens with motherhood as well, because it is one of our great, like monumental, it's not just, um, it's not just something we go through. It's something we go through physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, it happens on all levels. And it's when it becomes very clear, like what support is there and what support isn't. Mm. You know, when it's just us and we're just dealing with ourselves, it's really easy to like kind of expect less or take on more. But when there's like these little beings around you that you're responsible for their developmental life, um, I think the the weight gets heavier. So it's an opportunity to look deeper within. It's a opportunity to ask yourself, you know, is the person I was supporting the person I need to be moving forward? Um, is the life that I've built around me and the systems of support around me, are they enough? Uh, all of these sorts of things. I love the word portal. Yeah, it's a fucking portal. <laughs> yeah. It's and I know that we've always said like, transformations happening whether you want to or not mm -hmm. so what's really cool about motherhood is it's like it's the choice of yourself of how will you show up for the transformation are you just going to be dysregulated and like ah <laughs> you know or can you be like okay you know what clearly this is the time in my life to do some real deep inward looking on some things that i've been pushing away for as long as possible or things i didn't even know i needed to look at and I don't know. That's how I see it. It's just like this amazing opportunity to be the best version of yourself. I think there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering in, you know, the early stages of motherhood. I mean, there's the actual physical suffering post birth, whether you, you know, um, delivered vaginally or via C-section, there's going to be, there's going to be suffering. And then there's a lot, you know, then with the hormones, there's like emotional suffering. Mm -hmm. There's fatigue. I mean, there's all of these aspects at play. And I think what I love about what you do is that it shows that there's hope mm -hmm. because, you know, moms are feeling big things. They're feeling really big things and it can feel so permanent mm -hmm. because of the nature of the situation. You can't put the baby back. Can't put it back. It's there forever. And you're grieving the loss of your old life and your identity and everything but you know you're in that state of overwhelm and and but but there is hope it's just that the kind of how to get from point a to point b uh, can be a big question mark and so a lot of this work that you help facilitate in in women and in humans and in mothers is really it's like the light at the end of the tunnel and and motherhood is just one of the many ways where our life can be changed dramatically. But I think that people are not really aware that like, not everyone, but I wasn't. So I guess I'm speaking from my own experience, but I didn't see becoming a mom as, I knew it was a big step, but like, I didn't understand that it could be as traumatic as someone dying or like as traumatic as 
getting fired, you know, like it, it I knew it was a change, but you you got what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Definitely. Yeah. There's so much about it that's really incredibly harder than you think it's going to be. And that can just be such a like splash of water to your face where you're like, oh, no one told me about this. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's great. It's great because you get to dive into all this. <laughs> it's stuff. really awful and terrible, but then it's good. <laughs> it's, well, it, it's a, it, it, it brings about all the positive stuff, you know? I mean, I'm like in awe of you that you've able to do so much work before. Like, I just ignored everything and then had kids and was like, ah, shit. <laughs> but that was your path, you know? That was your journey. Yeah. Right? Well, right. and your b- biggest growth always comes when you're in the most discomfort. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's it's like you can't have one without the other. The whole like yin yang, dark and light, like that's just part of it, you know, is if you want to keep growing and getting to that next step, it's like sometimes it's that perfect sign stop that you're on the right path is like, okay, it's not always easy. Like usually your biggest change will happen after your biggest discomfort. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why motherhood's got that duality to it. Well, and you know, when I work with people, especially when we're doing the deeper transformative work that involves more of the guidance, um, you know, I can't help but use the birth analogy of like expansion and contraction. Like in order to birth that new version of self, like that baby coming out of your vagina, in order for that to happen, like there needs to be a a contraction in order to expand the container Mm -hmm. through which the birth will happen. Right. If that, this doesn't happen, we have to intervene with like other, uh, medicines and therapies in order to make that happen, you know? So this is happening to us on a, you know, energetic, spiritual level, this expansion and contraction. And actually when I heard someone really using that analogy in a way that hit me for the first time, that's when I like really started being like, oh, that's why every time I do something that like really like, whew, like, I feel cathartic. I feel like new and shiny. And then it's like a week later, it's like, boom. And I'm like in a depression and like all this stuff. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, okay, this analogy helped me learn to navigate that with a little more ease and knowing that like it's going to pass and learning how to like not contort to the contraction so much, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a Mm -hmm. life lesson that like, I think I'll be learning my whole life, you know, that's a good segue. I mean, we, we always try and, and end with, you know, one piece of advice or insight that you'd offer to, you know, our listeners, especially those who might be struggling with emotional overwhelm right now. And I I don't know how you're going to refine it because you have so many nuggets of wisdom. (laughs) But you know, like, what is one thing that you you want people to know or or a, a piece of advice that you can give? So Chelsea, like tapped on this a little bit earlier, but I want to return to it because I think this is important that healing happens of its own volition, meaning that it is already underway. It is already trying to happen. This is further exemplified through 
our symptoms, whether that's physical symptoms or emotional symptoms, that's our body trying to heal itself. That's our body trying to find homeostasis. And just because it's not finding homeostasis doesn't mean that like we did something wrong. You know, it's usually a bigger thing. It's a societal thing. It's a, you know, generational thing. It's, it's a relational thing. You know, there's many different things like our bodies want to heal. And, you know, when we can connect with the things that help our systems do that in the best way possible, you know, that's the best, the nicest thing we can do for ourselves essentially. So for one with that, like, don't be hard on yourself. If you're having a hard time, there's probably layers of reasons why it's so hard. And it's not just because you're, you're being too negative or, you know, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Like more often than not, we're not doing that, especially women. (laughs) Um, yeah, like society's the one telling us that we're being too dramatic, okay? Like we usually have reasons for being dramatic and and having a hard time. So, don't be so hard on yourself. Know that this process it's going to happen whether or not you engage with it, whether or not you acknowledge it. But usually it feels a whole lot more fulfilling and in the end more joyful when you do engage with it. And, you know, if it's not now, it'll happen eventually for you. So like I've had talks with clients or friends where say they're like, I know that this relationship isn't right for me and I need to end this relationship. And I can tell they're giving themselves a really hard time about it. And I Mm -hmm. ask them, you know, why, okay, like, why couldn't you leave this relationship tomorrow? They give me a laundry list of very legit reasons of why it's not practical in that moment, why they don't have enough capacity or energy to do it. And I'm like, so who's rushing? Is it just because your best friend is telling you that like you need to get the fuck out of this relationship today? And you know, when safety is not at risk, you can take your own time. And I think women have to trust that more. Um, and lose the sense of urgency. Sometimes we don't have the capacity or the safety to dive into these things. Mm-hmm. You know, safety is a big part of healing. And that's why, you know, at some point we need to be doing better as a society to create safer spaces for people to do this work. It's the same thing with you can't get over a flu or a cold without fucking sleeping, you know? <laughs> Like if you just go and power through and party your way through, you're going to get a chronic fucking bronchitis at the end, you know, like you're going to really get yourself into a dangerous space. The body needs to rest and digest. And so does our systems and psyches, you know? And then once you have a bit more stability, you can take the steps to move forward and take action, you know? So gentleness, gentleness trusting, allowing, these are big pieces. Um, and most people I find when they connect with themselves, those are the messages they're actually getting. All right. I love it. We got to be a little bit more graceful. I'm smiling. I'm smiling. I love chatting with you. I wish we could chat 
even more. <laughs> Maybe we will. We'd love to hear everybody's thoughts and comments on this episode. You can find Maya at mayakeen.com. M-A-Y-A-K-E-A-N-E. Um, you can work with her, learn more about her. You can also follow her on social at Maya Keen. I hope this was helpful for everyone. And Maya, thank you so much for <laughs> chatting with us and for being on the show. I feel better even now just hearing your voice. Aww. Thank you. It's been a joy. Um, nice to get out of my shell a little bit from this winter cocoon I'm in. <laughs> well, thank you. I learned a lot. So I'm so glad that I got to just be exposed to something totally new. Yeah. Thank you, Chelsea. <laughs> thank you for tuning in to the Raising Mama podcast. Your presence means a lot and we hope you found our discussion insightful. To become a part of our community, follow us on Instagram at Raising Mama Podcast. Explore resources on the Raising Mama Village located at www.raisingmama.com. You're never alone on this motherhood journey. We're here to support you every step of the way.